Welcome to the Like Arrows podcast, the show that will connect you to the right organizations and resources to help you become whole, healthy, and healed in every way. Hey, what's up, people? I'm your host, Lauren Williams, and this is episode five for season one of the podcast. If you're new to the LA fam, welcome. We are so glad that you are here with us today. I want to open up the podcast today with a segment called Exciting Things Are Coming in 2023. One of the things I'm excited about that is coming up for me this week is I'm taking a salsa slash bachata dance class. And I've been dancing since high school and it's a healthy activity that I personally enjoy. I have done jazz, tap, modern, contemporary, palm, all all the things, and I love it so much. I encourage you to find a recreational activity that you like and commit to doing it. This has been essential, so essential for me in rebuilding my life and in recovery and learning more about myself and what I like and finding a healthy activity that I can enjoy. And I encourage all of you to do the same. Shifting gears a little bit, last week we talked with John Begaman from Peer Desire Ministries. Peer Desire Ministries is a biblically-based and clinically-informed ministry committed to true revival in the church through the the healing of the present-day epidemic of sexual brokenness. When I say sexual brokenness, I mean you or someone you may know may be struggling with pornography or have experienced betrayal trauma and everything in between. Peer Desire provides counseling for individuals and married couples. They also have groups for men and women who struggle, and they also have groups for betrayed spouses, spouses who have have experienced betrayal trauma. If you're interested in learning more about Peer Desire or or you're interested in joining an online Peer Desire group, check out the link below in the show notes. The conversation I had with John last week was, amazing, so impeccable. I have received such great feedback um, after I released the podcast, and I personally have gone back to listen to it for encouragement. If you are a single Christian guy or a single Christian gal, please do me a favor and go back and listen to that conversation because we talked about how to have a healthy sexuality as a single person and what that could look like for people who are single because that's not really talked about. And some of the things that we talked about, you probably will not hear in your church or in a sermon. So I please, please, please go back and listen to that episode. But today I have an amazing woman on, on the podcast today. Her name is Ashley Jamison, and she also works with Pure Desire Ministries. In this episode, we talked about the hope and healing many men and women have received from going through a Pure Desire group. Both of us have gone through Unraveled Groups for Women. And in the episode, we talked about the lack of addressing sexual brokenness in the church, what to do about it, and the healing we can get from processing our unprocessed trauma from our past. I also want to share a trigger warning that there is sexual abuse mentioned briefly in the episode, but it's not descriptive. It is only mentioned. My purpose in talking about sexual brokenness is not to trigger anyone, but to encourage all of us to pursue healing, whether it's through counseling or a program like Pure Desire that can help us grow in Christ. After filming this episode, I could not wait to share this with all of you. These past few podcast episodes, I feel like God is using to minister to me in so many ways, and he has taught me so much through the guests that have been on the show. And I hope you're hearing the light and the hope in each guest and that God can do the same for you. 
So here's my conversation with Ashley Jamison. And without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hi, Ashley. Welcome to the Like Arrows podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be on your podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. I am so excited too. Um, so as I, I told you before, I started doing Unraveled groups a little over a year and a half ago. And ever since I started doing groups, well, even before that, I just kind of leaned into the Pure Desire podcast until I could, you know, get into an Unraveled group. And ever since then, like, I've seen you, like, as a guest on the podcast and just loved all the episodes that you've done. And ever since then, ever since I started watching regularly, you kind of have been, like, my big sister in recovery. Um, And not just in recovery, but in health, too. So I'm just so honored to have you on today. Oh, I love that. Okay, I have to... I have to reach and get a Kleenex because I'm a crier. Everybody oh. <laughs> works knows like, oh, Ashley's crying. What's new? Like, um, and so I can like feel it. So, um, yeah, well, I'm really excited to be here and see, I'm getting emotional. Um, yes. Pure desire is my job, but I love, I love mentoring and helping because I experienced a lot of hard in mm. life, um, self-inflicted mm. too, <laughs> like not all, not all victim. Um, mm. But just like, why didn't I know this? You know, why didn't I have um, a mentor in this way? And so I I genuinely love helping and just sharing and like whatever part of my story can help somebody else. I'm an open book. I don't really have too much that embarrasses me. So um, <laughs> yeah, I'm already crying and ask me anything. I'm, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> well, I feel like this is not such a great start because you're crying out before we even started the podcast, but... <laughs> I know. I, I know. It's it's just like, it's a curse. <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully this first question will lighten up the mood a little bit. Um, so before we jump right into our topics and questions, because I feel like what we're going to talk about a lot for some people, especially if they're hearing this for the first time, it may be a little heavy. So I want to start off with this question. Um, what is the funniest thing that happened to you this week? Or if you can't think of anything funny, what was the best thing that happened to you this week? Okay. I definitely have a best, but let me think if I can think of a funny on the spot stuff is always so hard for me. Um, because I'm a live in the moment kind of person. So, uh, (laughs) um, let's see. Funny. Hmm. I don't know about funny. Um, I am always funny. That's the thing is my jokes are always real and 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 on um on real time like there's there's a lot of us that speak and teach at pure desire and there's a few of us that's not us there's a few of them that script out their whole like everything is scripted because that's how their brain works it's like write it through you know pastors authors that kind of thing um i am always like use the stories from yesterday and sometimes i get myself in trouble because i'm telling somebody's story from yesterday and so um I have a hard time like recalling old things. Um, but the best thing that happened to me this week for sure was I was a camp counselor at my daughter's camp a couple weeks ago, a cabin leader. And so of course it's all high schoolers and middle schoolers and playing a nighttime game, running in the dark, which is dangerous when you're getting old. And <laughs> I hurt myself, my back and my neck was like totally jacked up. And so it had gotten so bad over the last couple of weeks that I started not even to be able to like bend my pelvis like forward and so I had to like squat like like my back wouldn't bend at the bottom you know and so I live in a small town 
people that can help are like an hour away and you know very backwards <laughs> so I, like i i ended up getting out of bed one night when i couldn't sleep or bend my hips and i googled youtube because it's amazing how to pop your si joint back into place i had a suspicion that's what it was was my oh, right no ashley joint. you did not and pop like, it back did I you did. Oh. i did all these exercises and i'm like i'm gonna figure this out i know it's my right hip and then i heard this huge thunk and I stood up and I was like, I think I fixed it. And I bent over and I could bend. And I was like, I feel like a superhero. I feel so powerful right now. But yes, I completely oh my fixed my I completely fixed my hip. And then within a day, the, like the tension from the muscle had relaxed in my lower back and my back was completely back to normal after like not even like narcotics would not even like fix the pain in my back. And oh. I was just yes. super proud of myself. So that was definitely a highlight of my week, a good moment. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. If you need a virtual chiropractor, contact Ashley. <laughs> <laughs> no. For sure. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And your story, it's so funny. It reminded me of when I was on, I danced in high school. I was on my high school's drill team. And before I was actually a team member, I was a manager. And I remember one time when we had spring show, there was a um, one of the officers, she popped her knee out of place. And oh our gosh. drill team, um, our director, she was like in the back doing like the AV sound and lights and stuff during the show. And she came backstage and she popped it back in. Like I saw her pop it back <laughs> into place and heard it. And after that, she was good. She was fine. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't do that. That's crazy. So that's crazy it's that you were able to do that like to yourself. Oh, yeah. I mean, my daughter dislocated her arm when she was like two and the doctor showed me how to put it back in. And so the next time she did it, I popped her arm back in. I'm like, this is going to hurt. And I just like popped it back in. I love oh. that kind of stuff. I'm such a creep when it comes to like wanting to do like weird things and figure it out on my own. Oh my gosh. That's so crazy. Well, thank you so much for sharing that, um, that fun or best moment that you had this past week. And so, um, now that we talked about that, let's just kind of jump right in. So if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, um, and how long you've been working at Pure Desire and also just some people might not have known you before today. Um, just give a little bit, um, about like your origin story too, if you can. Sure. Yeah. So, um, well, when I was born, no, <laughs> um, origin story is, is just complicated. And, and whenever I start leading a, a group of women, I try to like give a big umbrella picture of just, just the highlights and lowlights of my origin story, because I want people to know that they are totally free as Christian women, especially to share anything. And that we can talk about anything. So, um, if I was just to like highlight it's, um, dad was out of the house at a very young age, you know, lots of addictions there. So sing, you know, single mom. And then I got a stepdad, but, um, primarily kind of raised myself, my mom, um, being a black woman who was born in 48, um, had a lot of, I need to provide for you. Um, cause it was a struggle for her growing up. So her way of showing love was provision. And so she's very much a successful career woman and worked all the time. So I was home a lot all by myself. Um, I do have siblings, but for some reason, like one was way younger and always with like a nanny and the other one was a little older and went to school in town is what we called it. Um, and so she was gone all day and I was just home by myself. Um, <clears throat> and then my brother is way older than me. Um, 
but I was home a lot and I grew up in an area that was very white. And so there was also a lot of racism. So being lonely combination, being lonely all the time. Um, my mom wasn't super affectionate as far as like, never said, I love you or hugs or kisses. We didn't do that in my family. So, um, I guess, um, uh, experiencing like, a a, a lack of normal touch and affection, you know, that normal, um, mixed with isolation and a, a feeling alone. And then in a, in a school environment that was very racist. So trying to fit in, trying to like, not be a scene, trying to cause, not cause problems. I feel like was a recipe for disaster. I was also really exposed to sexual things at a young age. And so I started struggling uh, with fantasy, sexual thoughts, and even masturbation, like such a young age, like four or five years old. And then that led into sexual curiosity with other friends and, you know, young girls, like we were six and seven and really curious, like no supervision. Um, and a lot of times parents just don't know, you know? Um, and then that led into, um, me wanting to be like at the girls at school. So just being a chameleon, a people pleaser, because I didn't want to like make myself more of a target than I already was, um, as like one of the only black girls in the elementary school, um, fast forward at 15, I ended up getting raped as a virgin. And that was this moment where it was like, oh, somebody likes me at the same time as, I will never be um, the Christian wife that I hear about in church uh, because our family didn't go to church as a family. I would like ride my bike to church with my sister or I'd go on the bus to church or I'd find a friend. I always was kind of like just going to church with somebody else. And so I didn't really have good instruction on that. Well, you know what? Even Christian homes, like what we hear is they don't have good instruction on how to like integrate your messy life and world and your problems with being a Christian. And so what I felt, and it was like purity culture time, you know, that was that I was defiled. I was unpure. I was, um, and so that really started stirring just this confusion in my little young heart. And, um, and, and it kind of led me out, like out into the world, like, oh, I can have some power over, guys in this area. And there's finally something that feels like affection to me because I was lacking it so much, um, and desire. And so I ended up um, going down a path of sexual acting out. Um, then I met friends that had this light for Jesus. So I was like, Oh, I want that too. switch schools started going like plug myself into youth group and became an Awana leader and a camp counselor and was just like on fire. Like, this is what I want to do. I'm so happy. I'm living for Christ. Um, but after about a year, I started to hear a lot of those purity culture messages, like black or white, you're either a virgin or you're not. If you give your sexuality away, then you're like a ripped up piece of paper because you've bonded to another person. And now you, you know, part of you is missing or you dropped your cup of flour and you put it back in your cup, but now it has debris in it. So I kept getting the message that I will, I will never be whole. I will never be qualified to be a good Christian wife because of the choices I've made sexually. Um, and then I would hear like other, you know, Christian girls that were virgins, like the way they would talk about girls that had had sex and my pastor, you know, the sermons about being pure, staying pure. Um, I never heard anything about like, well, what if, what if you're not pure anymore? You know, like, what if, like, oh, so I'm unpure. Like, and so I really just mentally and emotionally put myself down. Like I will never be in the category of being able to be a good Christian wife. Um, and so what that did was gave me so much fear that I was going to be exposed in my Christian environment. I was like, I'm just going to go back to the world because at least they know who I am there. 
and there's nothing to hide. They actually knew I was a Christian too, my party friends. So it was like, at least th this environment knows all of me and accepts all of me, where this environment only knows the, the, the face I'm putting on. And I hear them talk badly about other people who have done what I've done before. And so I don't want to be in that environment anymore. Um, ended up getting pregnant as a senior in high school with twin boys. Um, and I have them just after um, just at the end of summer, after I graduated high school, they will actually be 20 years old in two weeks. Um, and I love them so much. Everybody like told me I was going to be a loser mom. And I, I like to think that I'm not, <laughs> I love my kids and, um, I feel like they love me too. Um, and so that helped me to grow up and, um, just getting pregnant at that young, I was like, uh, I'm not raising my kids out of church. And so I got my little butt back into church, stopped cussing because I realized they could hear me in my belly. And so I cleaned up my life um, and, but I was still struggling. And so I wouldn't have recognized it as an addiction because I would like be in church. I'd be leading women's groups. I'd be taking my babies to church, you know, praying with them every night. And then like a year would go by and I would end up going out with friends and like hooking up with somebody like, what's wrong with me? And then I would clean myself up for a year. And so that was kind of my pattern was like, I would almost like fall off the wagon once a year. And looking back, I didn't see that as a pattern. Um, and I would have never at the time considered myself like a love or sex addict ever, you know? Um, but now I see that was my pattern of like white knuckling it, holding it in, not realizing I was really a love addict, um, at my core, um, willing to do anything sexually in order to feel loved or pursued. Um, but it wasn't really like the sex I was after. Um, but then on this side, like struggling with masturbation, like that was more like sex attitude, <laughs> like, like, okay, I'm addicted to this, like dopamine rush. And, you know, um, and so in that back and forth swing, that's where I met my current husband. Um, and he was a Christian but had also had a, a really spotted past. And so we're like, okay, this is perfect. We don't have to be ashamed. We can be married, um, move forward, but also not feel ashamed of our past. And about four years into our marriage, me thinking, oh, I finally did it right. I found out he was struggling with pornography. He had a past with prostitutes and like my whole world was just ripped apart. Like, oh my gosh, I married the boogeyman. <laughs> By this time we had two more kids, you know? Um, and so it just like, it, it flattened me. And so in that time, and especially cause I had all that unprocessed trauma from my own, uh, you know, my own past, um, what I did was I canceled all social media. I read my entire Bible. I stopped drinking wine. Like I was hunkered down with Jesus. And after three months, I was still like in so much pain and not really moving forward. And now my pain was coming out as like anger towards my kids and impatience towards my kids. Um, and, and so that forced me to be like, what's wrong with me? And we ended up getting exposed to pure desire. And I was like, oh, you need to do this. And then after me, not like making any progress emotionally, I started to be like, well, my husband was like, maybe you need to be doing something too. And I was so mad about it, but, um, I got into it and I was like, this is, this is what I've needed all these years, all my life. Like this is exactly what I needed. And so I started in the betrayal material and then worked my way like, oh, I have so much garbage. I haven't processed. So then I was like, after I healed from the betrayal, I needed to go back and process my own past. And, um, and I ended up just getting, going to a conference cause I was hungry to learn. And at that time, Dr. Ted and Diane, they were, um, you know, they're the founders of pure desire. They were getting, um, to the point where they needed to retire from traveling and speaking. And it was totally a God thing. Like, I just ended up, I was still so messy and broken when I came on at Pure Desire. It will be eight years this October. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, I actually, my first speaking event was on my 31st birthday. Um, and I, I don't even know, like, it's such a God thing. I was such a disaster. Half my first groups, I was like crying and, you know, <laughs> everything. Uh, but even so being the first one to bring groups to my church because I needed it within like three years, I, I had helped start like over 25 women's groups. Um, because when, once you open the door, even if you don't have all the answers, they were just so hungry. Like, Oh, are we talking about this? This is what I need. This is exactly what I need. So, um, I kind of flip flop between working with like the teens, the betrayed and women who struggle. And I love all of it. I, I mean, I just, I love it. I lead groups in the morning, um, before eight o'clock and, uh, yeah. So now I teach people how to run groups. I teach, um, churches how to to run groups I train leaders how to be safe leaders I talk to women who are in crisis whether they're betrayed or they're the struggling one and help them get on the right path I like sending parents resources um just any I will help anybody with anything <laughs> so that's me Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, first off, thank you so much for sharing your story, your origin story. Um, it's just been so amazing to hear, um, you know, the backgrounds and the families that, you know, so many people on this podcast have come from um, and how, despite all of it, like God has brought them through. And I believe God has like redeemed your story and overcame. So just thank you so much for sharing that. You touched on a lot of things, but one thing that stood out to me was when you were talking about how um, you, I think this was before you were kind of going back and forth between as like you called it like the church in the world. And then you had this point where you realized like everyone, like I'm saying in the world, but you said you were saying like your, your party friends or your friends that you would hang out with. You said that you realized that they know everything that I've done. They've accepted me for all I am. So why don't I just go back to them? Because the people that are in the church, they are not accepting. I'm sure it's a culture of, of shame, especially when you talked about um, like purity culture um, and just shaming women for that, even if they've been sexually abused or taken advantage of, like they're still getting beat up with that message. Um, and so that honestly kind of led into my next question of, why do you think that peer desire groups have worked in churches? Um, and I guess it ties back into what you were saying about how you expected the church to be loving, accepting mm -hmm. a culture filled with grace and being in the church and even being a leader and serving, you found that people were not that. Um, yeah. So if you could, could go a little bit more detail into that, um, and then I guess also, why do you think pure desire groups have helped yeah. break this culture of shame and, you know, purity culture? That's such a good question. Um, and <laughs> it's such a good question. And it makes me so emotional because I get so angry, you know, not yeah. angry like at the actual people, angry at just how confused and um, lost we've been on on integrating sexuality with a God-centric message, you know? Um, and even on the betrayal side, when I was hurting so badly, I direct, like I did everything I knew, like check, okay, stop drinking, stop being social media, stop watching movies that are triggering me, read my Bible, read 50 chapters a day, all the things, and I wasn't getting better. And so I went to um, 
elders, you know, women that were older than me, women that had been married 20 years longer than me, even my pastor. And the messages I got were, well, are you sure you're forgiving him enough? Are you sure you've really let it go and given it to God? Are you sure you've prayed the but you know, the armor of God over yourself this morning? And I'm like, it's not working. And so when it wasn't working anymore, what did I start thinking was there's something wrong with my faith. Like I clearly can't trust God enough with my marriage. No, I was in trauma and I had so much lynch trauma from my whole past that I hadn't figured out that like not only John's betrayal, but it was like pulling up the roots of every betrayal I'd experienced it. Because what I was feeling is I am completely unsafe in this world. There is nobody trust, which there is truth in that. And that's ultimately what I circled back around to is like, Jesus is the only one I could trust. But I needed a process. I needed tools to help me work through that, to be able to figure out like, where do I need to just let it go? But where do I need to acknowledge that pain? Maybe even do some like yoga to get that trauma out of my body. Maybe yeah. I needed to um, verbalize. I needed to find my voice and and know that I don't have to be codependent, that I can verbalize things. And so that was my experience, the most recent experience with the church. And then going back to the teenage years about like my own sexual struggles. Um, I think it's just, it honestly... I think it's a couple things. I think that there is a lack of education. Um, it's just like we see with political issues where it's like, oh, you are either left or you're right. There's no middle ground. We can't compromise and we can't discuss anything. And I think there's there's a little bit of that with the church where it's like, it's either Bible or it's science. We can't have both. And it's like, mm -mm -mm. science is getting so advanced. It's actually more and more and more continuing to prove what the Bible has said, you know, and it's like, when we say things like be transformed by the renewing of the mind, that is not just a, like a touchy feely, fluffy, like let Jesus transform your, your metaphorical, you know, mind and heart. Um, that is a, that is a biological thing that happens and that your soul and your mind and your body are so intertwined. And God talks about that mind, body, soul, that when we are doing something that's a habitual sin, it changes our, the way that our DNA sends messages all the way down to the third and fourth generation said in the Bible proved with science. It creates little atrophied parts of our brain that like little holes, just like cocaine would, um, that can fill back out if you dedicate time and devotion and energy to healing that you can see the brain transform now and scan, which then proves again, God's scripture. But I think there's a lot of churches that are still like anything, science, anything, psychology, all we need is Jesus. If we were to just go to the cross, share our burdens and confess with our brothers and sisters, um, and then trust, you know, the truth will set us free, then there's no problem, right? If you keep sinning, then maybe you're not saved. That's the message that I that I was hearing. Um, and so I think there's that, like church is having a hard time bringing anything psychology into it, um, which understanding the way that my brain and my body were stuck in addiction was what helped me get out of those ruts. It helped me make sense of the scriptures. Like, oh, when God said this, this is what he meant. This is what it's doing to my body. Um, and then, and then unfortunately, you know, with 70% of men, most of our pastors are men, 70% of men have their own sexual struggles or history. Um, and if, and that's inside and outside of the church. So sometimes it's that they don't want the light shined on themselves, the leaders, um, or they feel like, well, how am I going to help somebody else? If I've been stuck in this, because they don't have the resources, they didn't have the resources either. And they're stuck in this, um, 
pedestal position where they feel like if they step out and get help, they're going to lose their position. They're going to lose what they feel like their calling is. And that's so not the case. There's, there's, we have the pure desire leaders program at pure desire because there are so many pastors and leaders that can stay in their position while working through their sexual struggles. Um, especially if it's not something, well, like if it's not something where it's illegal or, um, you know, physically with another person, you know, there's, there's always going to be instances where people need to step out and, and get healing. And then whether God brings them back to ministry or not, that's between, you know, them, God and the people that are working with them. But there are a lot of people where it's like, we need to, as Christians, leader or not, parent or not, associate director of groups at Pure Desire or not, admit that we struggle. Life is a struggle and it's this constant course correction. And we need to be able to be honest and vulnerable with that. And so that's what I saw is that, um, you know, the church just doesn't really know how to have the conversation. And sometimes it is kind of because they're struggling themselves. Other times it's just lack of education, lack of tools, lack of awareness. Um, and that creates this environment where you don't feel safe. You know, if you don't hear your pastor from the the pulpit saying it's okay to struggle, then, then people aren't going to come forward and say that they struggle. Yeah, that's so good. Thank you for going um, into detail about that. Um, I feel so blessed. Um, to be at a church where I know that we can talk about, you know, issues because like you said, life is hard, but specifically with um, like sexual brokenness, it does get talked about. Like my pastor has been open and honest about his struggle with pornography in the past. And I was so shocked wow. um, because I had never heard um, a pastor, even a black pastor, like yeah. admit that. <laughs> right? So I that's was like, amazing. oh my gosh, um, that's a whole nother thing. But I liked how you talked you talked about um, so many different reasons why you think the, the church, and when we say, when Ashley and I are saying the church, we don't mean a specific denomination. We're talking right. about like, this is a problem in the church around the world, in churches around the world. Oh, yes. Every country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, but that's just the reality of it. And I think like you said, there is a lack of awareness because I believe the same thing because that's what I heard growing up. Growing up, I grew up um, Baptist, specifically like missionary mm -hmm. Baptist. Grew up in like an all-black church, um, you know, shouting, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost kind of thing. Um, and so there was no talk about practically how do you renew your mind? Right. How do you acknowledge your trauma? How do you take the steps to get out of it? Well, first yeah. of all, do you even want to get out of it? <laughs> that's like a whole – that's like a whole nother thing. But I honestly believe the same thing too, um, because I struggled from like when I was, I struggled with pornography from when I was like about, I can't remember if it was between six or eight until I was in college. And then I remember like one encounter I had with God and he just literally like delivered me like free, like right on the spot. And I didn't even know that happened. And ever since then, I had not had the desire to do that, but because I wasn't engaging that behavior, I thought I was good. I thought I was okay. And God clearly was like, nope, you're not. Like, you still have trauma that you haven't addressed. You still have people you haven't forgiven. You still have all of these patterns. And I was in the church. I was serving in youth. I was doing it all. I was serving. I was going to church every Sunday. But I was not being transformed. I was yeah. not being transformed by a sermon. What really 
took place for me to transform was getting in a pure desire group, being community, being mm-hmm. open and honest and vulnerable. And so yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to start those um, groups at your church. And so can you kind of talk a little bit about what led you to start pure desire groups in your church and how has it grown from like one, that first group that you did to now 25 to 30 groups? I think that's just amazing one. Um, and that is just so amazing that your leaders recognize that people need help and not just men, but also women too. And people need to be healed from their trauma. And it's not that when we talk about being healed from our trauma, it's not like, not like we're trying to just completely throw out scripture, but let's, like you said, incorporate the science and the scriptures to heal us, you know, because Mm -hmm. we're, we're a three part being in body, spirit, and a soul. So can you just kind of go in a little bit about that? Yeah. And you know that I'm so glad you said what you said, because that's what does make pure desires groups. So pure desire groups. So unique is people who are Christians will come and they'll be like, I've never been able to talk to other Christians openly and be able to just like dump it all out there and see that they love and accept me. And that's what makes, that's what breaks down shame. And so like you're saying, you can be, you can stop the behavior, but there's a lot of like stuff still in there and, and driving what you do. And so, yeah, I stopped acting out sexually when I got married to John, because like having a husband is what, what my ultimate goal was. I was like, okay, nailed it. Got it. I can stop doing all those other crazy things. Um, but I wasn't healed. I just like, it was, you know, sex acting out sexually is just the symptom. And so the root was still there. Maybe I stopped this behavior, but then I ended up having like severe trust issues, hypervigilant, um, struggles with my eating, like my eating disorder mindset was coming back, um, control issues. And so there was all these things that were coming back and it, and it, like you said, it wasn't until you go through the material that you're like, okay, now we're digging down to the root and breaking that shame because we need our peers to share with in order to break that shame. And so, um, I actually, don't live in the city anymore where I helped start those groups. Um, but John and I, we feel like, um, what we feel like is everywhere we go, we want to make sure that, um, we are using our story as much as other, that the same comfort we received, we're giving to other people. And that, you know, like one of my favorite scriptures is revelation 12, 11, that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. And so like, yes, we have Jesus and we are righteous in him. And he wants us to share our story and continue to do that and help set people free. And so, you know, sometimes we get caught up in thinking that witnessing and and missionary is like the only way to go out to the ends of the earth and tell people, but it's not. There's so many people right smack dab in front of our face that need you to share and witness like what God has done. And your story is the best way to do that. And so, um, uh, we did start groups at, um, our old church and, and then, um, we ended up going, the, somebody like left that church and went to start a new church, plant a church. And so we went with that church and helped their leaders for the first year, go through groups so that they would have that foundation. Um, now we're in, and then COVID happened and things were weird. Um, and now we're in a new city. And so now we're getting plugged in with helping to start stuff here. And so everywhere I go, I just feel like, I may not be the one in the, like on the ground running it, but I want to make sure that people are aware that they have the tools that I'm here to help them. I may or may not start some of the groups. Um, but that's kind of my MO is like, get it going. And so the reason why I was able to start 25 groups in those first year, first years, which was now like nine years ago, nine or 10 years ago, um, 
was I would start a group and then there'd be this need, like all of a sudden, you know, it's like radio silence for years. There's no women that struggle or no women that have betrayal. And then as soon as somebody starts talking about it loudly, um, then all these people start coming out. And so I would start a group and then I had like four or five more women that needed it. And so I'd be like, look at my group and say, you have leadership skills. You've led other groups. You, you show up, you do your homework, you're vulnerable. You got answers. You take this group. I'll go start a new group and we'll just keep touching base every week. If you need any help, I'll let you know. Um, it really was like kind of the blind leading the blind. Um, but now that, you know, I've been at pure desire for almost eight years, like we have so many resources. I feel like anybody really could start a group because we have training resources. We're here for you. You can call us anytime. It's pretty much like open and go. As long as you have that personality that can just get people there, start and end on time and, and that kind of thing. So, um, that's kind of how I do it. It's just, I really want to get people going and, and, and we do have, um, we do have groups in at least that are registered with us. It's more, but the ones that have registered with us in over a thousand churches and they're in all countries, you know, they're in all like so many countries, Russia and Africa and Australia and, you know, here. And so, um, we just, we just really want people to know that you can talk about this as a Christian and there's yeah. hope and you don't have to stay stuck. And what we find is when you have sexual shame, that as much as you're serving, there's always going to be that piece of you. That's like, oh, if they really knew the whole story, if they really knew all of me, they would know I'm not qualified to lead these kids or they would think I'm a pervert or or whatever. And then also anytime somebody gets close to that, whether it's a sermon or something, you're going to like kind of draw back a little bit because you don't you're you haven't owned that. And so when you've been able to work through a group, whether it's unraveled or betrayal me on or, or whatever, you start owning your story and having confidence in Christ, like you're supposed to, and that you really are forgiven and redeemed and, and you've got that love and acceptance from your peers. So then when you go out to serve, you're like, oh yeah, I've done that. Let me tell you how I was able to get, there's no shame attached to it. And so you're able to use it and, and really be like a fully open vessel for, for Christ's work. And so some people will say that this kind of group material is the best discipleship material because you get to finally live in your own skin. I have, I have no fear of like applying for a job at a church or a position at church, or even like being the president, even though that would never happen because if they wanted to dig out all my dirt, I'd be like, yeah, that's also who made, that's also how I am. That's that, that helped me become who I am because of what God's done through those. So like, there would be no shame attached to it. Um, and I yeah. think that's really important, especially as you then get into parenting. Like if you don't work through that, you're going to parent out of fear mm -hmm. instead of owning just the, the life that happens to people. Yeah, that's so good. Um, can you kind of touch on why do you think some pastors and some leaders have some like they're resistant to having these groups in their church or they're just on the fence they're not sure they already have like 50 million things to do yes. yeah. um and so why is this so important um well what i've seen and so i've worked with a lot of churches and pastors over the last you know eight years and um a couple reasons is you're right. Sometimes they don't have the bandwidth. And so 
they get so many people with so many good cause. Like, let's help the orphans. Let's help the widows. Let's um, have AA. Let's, um, you know, have an outreach program for youth. Let's do sports. Let's do kids camps. Let's do sexual addiction. Like, there's so many things. And so we always advise, like, don't stop your pastor in the hallway, like after a sermon, like schedule a time, like when is it going to be best for you? Let's go to coffee. If you want to talk about it, share how it's impacted you and then be the one that said, and I'm willing to start these groups. I'm willing to lead. I'm willing to oversee. I'm willing to um, make sure that people have the resources and the training staff that that really helps a pastor. Um, and then also don't attack what hasn't been done. You know, like the church isn't doing anything and that's not a good approach. Um, always like sharing what it's done for you and that you're here as a servant, like willing to help lead these is going to be good. And that's the nice thing about Pure Desire is that we do gear everything toward wanting to partner and equip the church. And so we will like, as long as a pastor's on board, I mean, the more pastors on board, the better we see churches do, the better we see people do. Um, but if a pastor's on board, we'll help train your leaders. We we do so much um, for the leader that really the pastor doesn't have to be hands-on. And so one is that fear that there's not enough leaders. We're always short volunteers. You know, there's, there's that fear that we won't be able to do it. The other one is, well, we're afraid to talk about sexuality from the stage because we don't want to open Pandora's box and then not know what to do with all these people. And so I like to, to talk with pastors, like show the sexual integrity 101 series, open Pandora's box, because there are so many people in your seats that are struggling and needing help and just bringing it to light is going to be such a better problem to have because then we know what we're working with and then we can have a plan. And I am, I love that. I love brainstorming with churches um, because every church is different. They may say, oh, well, we only have two leaders. Well, we have 20 leaders. Well, we have, we have no structure in our church. Well, we have our church curriculum planned out for the next two years or, you know, I just love like, tell me what you got and then we'll figure out what your next step is to get people going. Um, and so it's that, you know, that they're afraid to open Pandora's box. Um, they're afraid it won't work. They're afraid it will create curiosity if they talk about pornography. Like if I'm the pastor and I talk about this and, and say that we have groups and that I've even struggled, they might think that that will create curiosity. Like, oh, well, if my pastor struggles, then then it's okay that I look at porn too. Like parents deal with that too, that it it feels like you might be giving them permission um, if you let them know, hey, when I was 16, I struggled too. Great. Now they're going to think that it's okay to struggle when you're 16. And and pastors kind of have that same, same deal. And it's not that way. Like, look at the world we live in. People don't need help being curious. Like you are, you are curious if you live in this world because you see billboards, you see TV, there's ads, there's, I mean, what you say as a pastor or parent or whoever, if you're a leader, that's not going to create the curiosity. People are already exposed to it. Um, and so that's another lie, but that is one that I hear. Um, and then, you know, some people say, well, the groups are really long and, and you know, and I know they need to be that long. And when you're hungry to get help, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like you're in a lecture, you know, for 10 months or nine months. It feels like, I'm with my people and I'm doing life and I'm, I'm peeling back the onion layers. And so once women are into the groups, they almost never think about the time, you know, they're they're It just becomes part of their life that these are the women I meet with once a week to navigate sexuality and work through life with. So those are a couple of the reasons that we see pastors um, are hesitant to start things. Um, and then again, like I said, if they're struggling, 
that brings the light too close, you know, so pastors need to be honest and get help too. And we love pastors who are struggling Like we will help you, you know? So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for kind of going into detail about that. And you brought up unraveled and B2B groups. And so can you kind of talk a little bit about the healing that you've experienced in the B2B group and then also in the unraveled groups and how it's impacted your marriage and your family? Oh gosh. I mean, when you have kids, like I know at least for me at the hospital I went to, they're like, you have to watch these videos on how to put your baby to sleep and stuff before like, you're going to make me watch these videos before I can take my own child home. Okay. Um, I feel like they should have given, given me pure desire material, you know, because I, as a young mom and really young mom, I constantly prayed for patience. I constantly, like I had anger issues. Um, clearly, I mean, look at my past. I didn't know, you know, nobody talked to me about my feelings. I had like 20 years of pent up feelings. Um, and I would, I would just pray. Like I would do all these devotionals. I would ask, like, I join all these Bible studies. Like I need to be more patient. I need to have more control over my food because I had eating disorders and all these things. Um, and it wasn't until I finally went through pure desire materials and what was like, this is what I needed. You know, like, again, those were just outward symptoms of root issues I was having. And so we get a lot of people that come through our groups and they're like, oh, my sister wants to do this. And my, my friend wants to do this, but they don't have this sexual struggle, but the material is so good because it really does. We're like, use whatever you can. Like, did you get your feelings hurt by that sixth grade boyfriend that dumped you? Okay. Come to group, you know, like whatever you can do to get inside the group, because it, it's not about sex. It's not about acting out. Those were just, we, we say a lot of times, like, um, sometimes we, we meet legitimate needs in illegitimate ways. And so the need is I want to feel connection. I want to feel seen. I want to feel wanted. I want to feel loved. Um, I want to feel secure, but sometimes we, we search those things out in ways where we just like flood our brains with dopamine because it feels good. So if I'm going to binge out on food or shopping or sex or flirting or whatever, that's just a way to try to feel good, you know, instead of like finding new ways to feel good that are, you know, how we're supposed to be feeling good. Um, and so with betrayal and beyond, like I said, I didn't even know I had trauma. I was of the mindset of like, Oh, that's all the past. I mean, I was an open book. So it's like, I talked about all my stuff. It's not like I was one that like held it all in. It was like, I talked about it all, but I didn't know that I had trauma. Like I needed to go back and I needed to put names and feelings with some of those experiences so that my brain wouldn't be like still holding onto it. And and so that's what I learned with Betrayal and Beyond is I learned the difference between codependency, which comes from my love and addiction acting out, and that there's also a trauma response and they're not the same. So some of my behaviors were okay, totally okay, and and encouraged because there were ways of me keeping myself safe from people who are not safe. And then other areas could look exactly the same, but different drivers um, were codependent of me wanting to like feel loved or reach out for love or manipulate a situation so that this guy would like me or whatever. Um, and so having the time and space to just sit down and like really dissect, like, what do I do for safety? And what do I do for control and manipulation and try to get the outcome I want? And what do I need to do to change those things? Like in this side, how do I um, meet my needs in a better way, a legitimate way, a way that's not going to just, okay, once I'm done meeting those names, well, now I've just piled on more shame 
And so what does that do? It makes me want to like numb out again. Um, and so I need to figure out how to meet those needs in a way that when I'm done meeting those needs, I feel good. I feel, I feel happy. I feel like who I'm supposed to be in Christ. And so replacing those, those behaviors. And then on the other side with the betrayal and beyond stuff, um, I may have done things for safety that are no longer valid, you know? So I had a lot of control issues, but being a kid that practically raised myself, people would forget me at the school at nighttime when I was seven years old, I'd be like there waiting for a ride. And I walk home like scared in the dark. And so, and then having kids young, I was a single mom. And so I, I was in control in that area too. And just saw so many people drop the ball on me that coming into my marriage with my husband. Now we've been married 14 years. Um, I had to let go of a lot of that control because he grew up in a really controlling environment and I grew up in an environment where I raised myself. And so he sees somebody being in control as triggers from his childhood because he wasn't really allowed to have his own decisions, his own opinions. And that was really hard for him, ultra religious, legalistic home. And, and so I had to realize like, oh, I'm, I'm triggering him, you know, but I also need to learn how to trust him. And so those are the kinds of things where it's like, we can have really outdated behaviors that met a need for us because we didn't have the maturity to know a different way. And now as adults um, who are with other women who are willing to like be vulnerable and share, we get to like put it all out there and be like, okay, how can I, how can I adjust some of these so that they are um, decided on with my more mature thinking in Christ, my more, you know, I'm out of that crisis. And how can I meet these needs in a way that's not going to perpetuate the cycle of causing myself or other harm, others harm. And so, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on and on, like, you know, it, it ultimately always does boil down to who we are made in God. And so you're not getting rid of scripture at all. You're not getting rid of what God does. He is the one that frees us sometimes because we have these rigid ways of thinking and we all come from different backgrounds where we look at the world through this filter we need outside people to say, have you considered this to help get out of those ruts? And, and that's what it is. And, and God totally emphasizes community and wise counsel and sharing each other's burdens. And so that's, that is biblical to share with others. Yeah, that's so good. I like how you talked about understanding the difference between, um, like having a trauma response because you don't feel safe versus, um, like acting on in codependency. So um, could you give like an example, like a tangible example of like what you mean between the two? Cause that, that was really interesting to me. Yeah. Okay. So let me think. Um, <clears throat> acting out in, so one of the ones I can think of, um, and this is like such a, this one might not be the best example, um, but I would I would a lot of times like snoop through John's phone or emails because um, I have trust issues. Um, well, I would do that out of, I was seeking safety because when I was in a marriage for four years and didn't know that he was struggling these different ways with pornography or even that he had a past, a long past with like prostitutes. Um, when he told me that it's like your world is dumped upside down. Like the life, you know, has now been dumped upside down. Like who I thought I was married to, who I thought my husband was, is not like my reality just got all distorted. And so my body was in crisis. Like I'm not safe. I don't even know who I'm married to. I don't even know who this guy is. And so me looking 
looking through emails is trying to figure out like this person that he's kept behind the veil, like the second life he's kept away from me for five years. I don't know that person. I've only know, I only know the person he's presented. And so my, my brain and body were like looking for clarity. Like I want to know who the person is that he's been hiding from me for five years because I don't feel safe. I'm really traumatized. Um, and then there was this moment and I remember it was years into recovery. It was like, this is not serving me any well, because I do feel like I know him. I know that I'm married to somebody who struggles and I feel like I know the person he is. I know his struggles. We, he had done his work and, and we were at this place. Now my reason for snooping and looking through the emails were not because I was trying to make sense of my world. They were trying to be hyper vigilant in the way of, I want to make sure that, um, he doesn't think anybody's prettier than me, which is like such an unrealistic, you know, like expectation. Um, and so there's that, but even that sometimes when it's triggered, it's still, a, it's still me grasping for safety and control. So that's why I'm like, I don't know if that's the best example, but it's so, if you're not with a group to process those things, you don't, you don't realize where you cross that line, you know, like I don't need that anymore. And so there was this line where it was like, those things gave me security to have access to all of his passwords that he shared so that I could do some checks gave me comfort and security and, and like an external stable stabilization enough to where I could get to the point where I could work with him and process and start rebuilding trust. But then there was this line where I would feel then worse. I would feel more anxious after I went in to try to figure out what was going on with him. And so then I had to be like, this is not serving me anymore. This is not meeting the same need that it was before. This is creating more chaos and more anxiety. And I need to let this go. Um, but I needed to be in group to be able to recognize that point. Like, Hey, every time I do this, I feel like worse, you know, <laughs> worse, not better. Um, and then same thing with control. Like I, um, I, I can over remind people like to, it's very annoying. Um, it would be considered like micromanaging, you know, just like beating a dead horse is what I've been told. Um, and so there's been points where I like with my mom, she's very forgetful. And so as a child, I did have to beat a dead horse. I would have to tell her 20, 30 times sometimes, like, don't forget to pick me up. Don't forget to pick, leave her notes. Like, don't forget to pick me up. Okay. Are you going to pick me up? Are you setting a timer? And, and that's how I would have to operate with her all the time in order to make sure that I got rides home, that I was, you know, got what I needed. Uh, with my husband, I I don't need to do that, but it was really, really hard for, for me to let that go. And so um, in order to not destroy my marriage, I had to be like, even if he forgets something one or twice, it's perfectly like a normal human thing. You know, it's, it's not the same. It's not my mom. Um, and so I had to let that go as well. Like the control versus like, when I was a child, I actually had to do that to keep myself safe. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. When you said that, when you were talking about your mom and like how you had to do that growing up, it clicked for me. And I understood what you were saying earlier. Um, I'm single. I'm not married. So I'm like trying to like yeah. process this with you too. Um, be like, oh, okay. That's what you mean. So it's like <clears throat> you both were kind of like triggering each other because you said you grew up and you had to beat your mom over the head with don't forget yes. to do this, don't forget to do this. And then he came from a controlling, legalistic, you know, home where he was controlled and he was told what to do. And now mm -hmm. you're doing that to him, unbeknownst to, unbeknownst to him, he didn't know that you had to do that with your mom. So, okay, now I kind of understand, you know, the difference between the trauma response and then um, 
like acting out in codependency. So thank you for going into detail about that. That's yeah, big. I always try to give a couple examples because depending on what resonates with somebody, that's why you need group. It's so yeah. hard to slice through. And and now my husband's done enough work where he will, I'll say, like, if I'm out of town, I'll say, don't forget to pick up my vegetable basket on Saturday morning. And he's like, I'm not your mom. I got it. Like, but, but it doesn't bother me that it, like, it's kind of a funny way, you know, like we we've understood each other's trauma or when he thinks I'm parenting him. And I think it's a perfectly normal thing that I've asked. I will be like, I'm not your mom. I'm not your dad. Like, this is a normal thing for a wife to ask to, wow. you know, like, I'm not smothering you. I'm not parenting you. And so he's like, you're controlling me and, and you're parenting me. And I'm like, you're not doing, you know? So, but now yeah. that we understand each other, it's like, okay, though, those or one, an example for my husband is he, I would say he stonewalls. And so if we would get in an argument or he thought he hurt me or something, he would go completely silent. When people go silent, it's such a trigger for me because I have that wave ambivalent personality and he has the island, like I retreat when there's chaos. And mm -hmm. so I'm like, let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And he's like, let's retreat. Um, once we figured out that like, I literally had to chase my mom down to talk to her. And he always had this house where you weren't allowed to have your own opinions. If you asked a question after you were told something, it was considered talking back. Yeah. So he shuts down in conflict. I chase in conflict because that's how my, that's how I did with my mom. Mm -hmm. And so we had to learn that and be like, you can't shut down. That triggers me so much. And he's like, you can't chase me. <laughs> You're like, and so now we understand that those are triggers from our past and how we were raised. And so there'll be times where he'll be like, we'll talk about this, but give me like 15 hours. Like, let's talk tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. And then I'll be like, okay, don't chase him because it will be a better conversation if I honor that. And I know that a conversation is coming. And so it's not going to be emotional abandonment like I've experienced in the past like he just needs a moment and so we've we've figured that out wow that's so amazing thank you so much for sharing that and that was so helpful for me too and I feel like this could not even just apply to marriages but also just to like friends and like absolutely co-workers and like absolutely. church members you know yes relationships yeah relationships. It's how you function in relationships yeah. Wow. Oh my gosh. This has been so good. I definitely have to have you back on. Um, we'll wrap up with this last question. Um, if someone is hearing this for the first time, um, or they've been listening to the podcast for a while and they're not in a recovery group yet, um, and they're kind of on the fence, they don't know if they should or not. What would you, what would you tell them? What advice would you give to them? Um, I would give them a few pieces of advice. First, call me. I love talking to people. Tell me your story and I'll tell you where to start. Like, I love that. You can call me, you can email me and be like, I don't know where to start, but I felt something when I listened to that. You know, yeah. um, I love to point people, even if it's not our resources, I love pointing people to a next step because you do need this deep healing. And so my question to the listener would be, if you sit quietly with yourself, not just sexually or relationally, although keep that in mind too. Um, is there a place of your life that you feel shame when you think about it or that you wouldn't want anybody to know about? Are there, are there behaviors or things that have happened at all, whether self-inflicted or others inflicted, um, where you're like, I don't want to tell anybody that I would never share that. Maybe it was a sexual abuse. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Maybe it's that you're masturbating. Maybe it's that you, um, crave and fear, fear intimacy at the same time. So you get lost in romance novels. And every time there's 
an opportunity to go on a date with somebody, you kind of self-sabotage or, you know, there's all these things that maybe you haven't like ever shared that with somebody. I would say, please, please, please get into some kind of healing or recovery group because that little toehold of shame and secrecy is going to keep you from living to your full potential and living out fully how God created you because we, we shouldn't have that kind of shame. Um, and so I would start there. Like, what is that one area, you know, that you haven't, maybe it was an abortion, maybe it, you know, like maybe your, your spouse or your boyfriend is struggling with pornography and you feel like a failure or not adequate as a girlfriend or a wife, because why would he be doing that if you were good enough? Um, maybe you're struggling, um, with understanding like what does sexuality as a single look like? What's okay. What's not like, I just, or maybe you just want to be able to talk about sex because what happens is if you're single and you're told, um, no, 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 don't think, don't touch, don't act, um, save it for marriage, which like, okay, that's, that's a great, but when we just base, when we just give those bulleted messages without going into like, what does it look like to be a sexually healthy single because we are a sexual person like we see things and we may get aroused what does that mean are we bad person because we had this reaction to something we saw like we need to be able to dissect that and so maybe your next step is just getting into a group where you can talk about sexuality so that if you remain single you know how to do it in a healthy way and not feel convicted or confused or constantly ping-ponging conversations in your head or if you are somebody who's going to get married it's not like, okay, it's been off and now it's wedding day and now it has to be on. And, and we're like still attaching so much shame to that because we've never owned and embraced our own sexuality. And so now that we're married, we're still struggling. We don't know how to have orgasm. We don't know how to be free. We don't know how to think that sex and nakedness is not dirty um, because we haven't like been able to just talk about being a sexually single woman. So there's all kinds of places to start betrayal struggles shame abuse any of it you know that that stuff needs to be unpacked yeah wow that's so good um and as you were talking i forgot to ask one question but we're just gonna have to have you back on the podcast to talk <laughs> okay. about it so <laughs> yeah but thank you so much for sharing your story for giving advice um i just know so many people are going to be encouraged and help just you know, with hearing you share your story. So thank you so much for being here today. I am so glad you had me on and I appreciate you talking about this with your listeners. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and it was encouraging to you. If so, please share this podcast and leave us a review. If you're interested in connecting with Peer Desire Ministries or have an interest in joining an online Peer Desire group, click on the link below in the show notes. Follow us on Instagram and let me know how this episode has impacted you. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's never too late to change. Have a great week.